Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Scene Partners. Scene Partners Podcast is brought to you by Scene Partners. <laughs> Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. God, I wish. <laughs> Speaking of Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, we got uh, our own little our own little Kellogg's Frosted Flakes email. Yes. But in the sense of like where you get an email and you don't know if it's spam or not. And you assume it's spam. And I assume it's spam. But actually, it's kind of legit. I, we actually got an email about monetizing our podcast. I know. That's exciting. Even though like, you know, it's a, a different thing we hadn't necessarily heard of yet. But it still was kind of like, hey, look at us. Right. We've at least made enough where people think that we're legit. <laughs> <laughs> we we've made enough to uh, annoy people on the airwaves. Yeah, I mean, they're if anything, they're just like you know these these dudes from Louisiana have a lot of people from outside of the country that listen to them. <laughs> How do we tap into the Singapore? <laughs> this is, we need market. the Singapore market. That's crazy. Um, so you and I, it's been actually a little while since you and I have recorded anything. Yes, that's the truth. And it feels very strange. It feels like it's been forever. And yet, we have not spent any time apart. Yeah, we've been together pretty much for the entire entirety of the last two weeks. That is true. Um, but I, I, were you saying that like it was negative? No. Oh. But it does feel like it's been forever since we've done this. Yeah, since we've actually sat down in the room. We, so many things have happened. We actually did go on that vacation that we, we yes. said that you almost lied about. Yeah. Um, and that was a treat and a half. It was just crazy, like, actually... The vacation or the lie? Well, both of them to be... Well, that was the whole treat. <laughs> Half of the treat was act, the actual vacation. I just forget sometimes, you know, the joy of of leaving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not necessarily, like, it's joyous to leave where you always are. Like, that's a good thing. But there, it, it is so important to travel. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think as artists... I mean, I don't because well, I can only speak to artists, so I don't really know what it's like for other people in other fields. I can only assume the way you phrase that. I can only speak <laughs> I to can artists. Only speak to artists. If you're not an artist, you're not an artist, then you get out of my face and my <laughs> earbuds. No, <laughs> I like the the term earbuds. It's like they're your friends. <laughs> like, why are we? Why are we giving? Uh, anyway, um, so does that mean your ear holes are your butt holes? <laughs> what? You just said that to be immortalized forever. I just want to know one thing. Did you actually like? Did you have you actually thought of this before, or was this just on? Just happened. Uh, no, this is. I just want to know. That's if it's an fresh old joke from um, uh, the Good Place. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh man, I watched that so long ago. I do love that show, but my God, that was <laughs> that really caught me by surprise. <laughs> I wasn't. I immediately, I immediately shed some tears. I can't believe I made you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> immediately shed some tears. My eyes oh, were watering. Um, well, crap. I don't know what I was. Yeah. Um, yes, they are. And uh, to answer your question, but it is so important to travel as as an artist, I feel just because it allows you to have so many other perspectives that you don't normally have. And I, just seeing other people's, you know, like even the, the some of the restaurants that we went into, we went to this one restaurant in North Carolina that was just so brilliantly put together that I. I feel like we, I, it just had so many inspirations for me. I, like I, I was just snapping pictures all over the place of oh, things yeah. that it's like, man, this is, I just really love the flow of this and the way that they have combined these different styles. And I just, it just made me think of all the different things that we could use them for. Mm -hmm. And it just really showed me like in that moment, how, you know, if, if you stay in the same place all of the time, you're only ever going to be receiving the same ideas and the same feedback. Oh Yes. And it just totally changes everything to get outside the box and go and experience other people's, you know, ideas in a sense. Yeah. You know, that that restaurant that you're talking about specifically was it's, it's really cool because they had um, what was it? War and Peace on the, the yeah, ceiling. They had painted all of the walls black. 
and the walls and the ceilings. Yeah. And they had written the entire novel of War and Peace over which, the entire restaurant. Which was such a like a painstaking and creative like idea to even come up with. It looked amazing. I was like, man, that how cool would it be to do? Immediately, I just started thinking about how I could steal it. And like how cool it would be to do a set where you paint the whole set black and then you write like all of the words from yes. the show. And then it's good for your actors too, because then all of the lines are on the <laughs> the set base. Yeah. Like, I need to be next to the next to the stage, the down left wall. Column, because that's so I can. <laughs> all of these lines of this monologue I can't remember. <laughs> but also at that same restaurant you know, the important lesson that I took from that place was never let yourself be any one thing. Yeah. <laughs> because at 1030, it turned into it like turned this nightclub. Into, I mean, this was a nice, <laughs> nice restaurant, too. Yes. And I do appreciate the fact that they were like, you know what? There are there are two different vibes that we can tap into with mm-hmm. this place. We can have some banging food, like really high end food. And then we can just become like a raunchy dance club within, yes. you know, literally 10 minutes. It was yes. like we were having a great time. Everything <laughs> was fine. And then we just kind of noticed people getting really like, it seemed like immediately everyone in that place was was just 100% drunk. Oh, yes. And we were the only ones that were still enjoying our meal and being like, wait, what is that? <laughs> Suddenly we're we having family here. dinner. <laughs> this bouncer guy walks out. What is there's happening? a bouncer and security and, you know, you're seeing things that you don't necessarily want to see. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a really cool place. I just it did. It just made me think that, you know, I, I just wish that more people would travel. And I think that's something that in smaller communities like where we live people it's almost like they and and i don't know where this comes from but it's like people don't want to leave the place where they are yeah and i don't know if that's from like a uh like an economic stance it's just i i think that uh in most small communities you you don't have a wealthier population yeah and so it's almost like okay so we have we put a stigma on leaving our community because we can't necessarily afford it. Yeah. So since we can't afford it, we're going to act like it's silly, kind of like a defense mechanism almost. Oh, of course. And so it's kind of, it's, it's like uh, celebrating your ignorance because you don't, you can't afford the alternative, I guess. I, I don't know. You know, they're not saying that not traveling is ignorance. No, no. Yes. But there, there are two things there for sure in that, um, you know, in, in speaking of wealth and things like that, like the wealthy people there, like, because when we had first got there, we we went to this restaurant. There we found was all these definitely nice, a stark divide yes. in this community. It was, it was like crazy wealthy and then dirt poor. Yes. <laughs> and, it, and it was crazy to see, like, in our area here, the wealthy move away from people. Yeah, but there it's like you want to move towards other mm-hmm. people, and it, and it's so interesting because I think the mindset here is that um, the wealth is equated with more like land. Yeah, you have more space. Yes, the more, the more wealth, the more space. The and, less wealth, the less space. Yes, and and to me, I'm looking at these big, beautiful houses or even an apartment, and I'm thinking they have no lawn to <laughs> yeah, mow. They are. Yeah, we said that so many times. <laughs> like, man, they don't even own a lawnmower. <laughs> it's like, this is beautiful and wonderful. And the other thing that I did want to say is like, I know that you said live in their ignorance, but it's so hard for me. The definition of that word is so convoluted, I think. And I think well, because it's like I think when you're choosing that quote unquote ignorance. Yes. Ignorance doesn't mean It's the stupidity. lack of knowledge about something. It's the lack of knowledge. And sometimes people can choose to stay in that ignorance. Yes. But I think but that's something else you altogether. You ignorant of something. Yeah. But I, I, that's that's more what I'm saying. It's it's not. No, no, I know. I was just harping on the word usage. Well, because it can be kind of a hot button thing. Because then you immediately can equate. You know, I could see how you could say what I said was basically like people who don't travel are dumb. No, yeah. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm curious as to you know I feel like that this type of culture was born out of necessity in a way to justify the fact that you know 
a lot of people in smaller communities can't afford to necessarily go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Places that they want, so then they make it like, well, we're we're proud. We're gonna stay here. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. I also feel like you know you and I stayed up. This is a completely different thing. But you and I stayed up kind of late last night, and my voice feels twelve octaves lower than normal. Dude, mine does too. <laughs> even even my uh, coworker said something today. He was like, "Are you sick?" I was like, like "What no. is the deal?" I feel like I'm like, "Hello, everybody." It's like the latest I've ever stayed up ever. <laughs> we are ready for the radio. <laughs> yeah, I, it is. It it was definitely a show of, "Hey, you're old." Yeah, that's that's like the whole the stamp of the evening it was like, let's create things in yeah. our anxiety and you're old. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. We did. Um, we took some of those ideas that speaking of, you know, tying this really into this mm-hmm. uh, that we had learned from Charlotte and some of those like design ideas that we had noticed at this restaurant. And we were kind of talking, you know, how can we integrate that into Mockingbird? Well, because they had a physical representation of something that we had already spoken about before about something that I wanted to build, but I didn't think that I could do it in a way that didn't seem like cheap and cheesy. Yeah. And this, you know, the show that we're about to do is not a cheap and cheesy show. So it's like, I don't want to do something. And then it seemed like cartoony. Mm -hmm. Um, which, which would stick out like a sore thumb with the material. Stick out. Yeah, because we're doing a lot of raw materials. Mm-hmm. And so it would just seem very strange. But then they had actually achieved this. I mean, who knows what that thing actually looked like whenever the lights were like <laughs> super bright? Because yeah. I will say that going through that restaurant, it was so fun. I was like, can I turn my flashlight on my phone? I mean, I'm really digging this ambiance. Yeah, but it is crazy I dark. do not want to fall down. Like Speaking of being very old. <laughs> Like it's real dark in here. Can you can have they a, like us a, up to the third balcony? Can I have too? an usher escort me to my table? <laughs> and get the flashlight and everything. Why doesn't this menu come with a book light? I'm oh yeah, that was that was <laughs> really difficult. Like to read. everybody pulling out their phones and using their phones to read the menu, but not wanting other tables to see us do that because apparently everyone else can. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're all vampires up there. But sidebar. We had one of the best waiters I think I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, but you know what? I feel so bad about it because I think right at the end, we, I I think he thought we were making fun of him. And this is stuck with me. Like I've almost. <laughs> what? I almost. Yeah, I'm serious. I was driving in the car the other day and I thought like, I, I almost want to call up there and ask our, who this waiter was so that I can like apologize because I think he thought that we were making fun of him because we were doing those, we were doing some Schitt's Creek impersonations. Oh yes. And this one particular person had mannerisms that were kind of close to his. And then right after we were doing that, I saw that he was watching our table and then he came over and it was like very like curt with us, like short and like, maybe that was just you because you have that effect on wait staff. That is true. I just, I, or I just, obsessed about not wanting people to be uncomfortable and so oh. i'm like uh maybe this is nothing but he was probably more or less like look man it's a nightclub now i'm not supposed to be waiting tables anymore yeah i'm ready to i'm ready be for a you part guys of to leave what's going on downstairs yeah. <laughs> but i was immediately worried about that but he was awesome like he had he had suggested these uh these appetizers and they were like oh well you know what what's the best appetizer to get oh get these Oh, yeah, we'll take those. Thank God, because they're about to go off the menu. So you need to get them yeah, now. He was really awesome. <laughs> what? It's like, well, we're not from here. So we'll other people can be sad about it. We'll just yeah. be glad that we got it. But it was great. And I, I wish that I wish that more people could have the opportunity to travel like it was more accessible. Yeah. And, you know, there it used to be such a huge part of my life because I used to, you know, tour and I, I was gone all the time. It felt like I was going places constantly Mm -hmm. and i will say you know since coming back it's just harder to get to places from where we we live in particular oh yeah because in order to go someplace somewhat affordable i mean like in chicago i could fly to i could get a round trip ticket to ireland for under 500 bucks oh yeah i'm sure from the airport and i also wouldn't have to pay a car like a fee to park my car because i could just take the train to the airport and so it's like money saving things everywhere because of the convenience of the city and the fact that there's a big international airport. But like here where you live, where there's a a, a small airport, it's like, okay, I'm going to be like, (laughs) 
this is going to be a $3,000 trip. Like, yeah, it's easy. No way that I'm going to make it there with anything under it. And I think that in a way, you know, there are so many amazing things about living where we live. But that is that to me is the biggest downside. Yeah, it's, it is definitely a huge obstacle for wanting to travel here because like I sort of have this internal rule, anything over 10 hours, I am flying. 100%. Because that's the limit that I can be in a car yeah. and not lose my freaking mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having this local airport here that doesn't necessarily, like, you have to have, like, connecting flights to get to somewhere else yeah. is really difficult. So which a lot of times. why we used it to go to Charlotte, because now they have a direct flight. A direct flight, flight yeah. Which was awesome, because it was only, like, an hour and a half. But a lot of times, I will drive to another airport within the state mm-hmm. to fly out of to have a direct flight. Right. Because I hate connecting flights mm-hmm. and you cut oh here's a six hour layover for a really inexpensive flight and you're gonna end up paying a lot of money parking your car absolutely you pay but more it just, like than in the order flight itself. to travel and to get all of those different i mean that and that is one beautiful thing about having a theater in a smaller town is that you know and we've talked about this about uh, being able to give access to people who can't go places and see other people's opinions mm-hmm. and ideas of playwrights from all over the place and you know, their, their, their background and how it's similar. You know, I think people, when they stay or when they're stuck in their, you know, their own town essentially or held hostage by their, you know, by their finances and they don't get to go do that. I think that it's easy to build prejudices Yeah, because you, you think there's no way that you have anything in common. Like there's no way that somebody from, Louisiana has anything in common from somebody who grew up in New York or, you know, Los Angeles. But it is amazing the commonality whenever people actually can sit down and talk, you know. I mean, I worked I worked for those uh those Turkish rock stars for a while and you'd want to talk about some very different backgrounds. I mean, like <laughs> them growing up in Istanbul and me growing up in Louisiana. Yeah. And still we were able to you know, have conversations about our lives and so many things matched up. Yeah. I mean, like I, I I, was so thankful for being able to meet them and be able to work with them and some of the people that they brought in from Turkey and from Germany and some other places that worked with them in their band just because it really showed me like, you know what, we even all these different countries, you know, there are definitely stark differences, but there are so many similarities just by the way that we live. I think it's just so easy to not see it. Yeah. Because it's it's easy not to try to have that conversation where you actually connect with people. And you know, I've been thinking about that with the show that we're working on right now of you know, in this particular show there are the the town is itself is divided mm-hmm. and people don't cross over the town and I was just listening um and they're they're divided not by miles but by race. Yeah, and I heard this really great thing is that race, like I I've been listening to this amazing podcast uh, that Radio Lab did about somebody named Harry Pace, and it's called The Vanishing of Harry Pace, and it's six episodes. And the last, I was a little bummed because there's so little information that, in all honesty, the only ones that are actually truly about Harry Pace are the first three, mm. and then the last three are kind of them talking about some things that he had an influence on and then some completely different people that were kind of in the same time period that affected change like him. But it's just so it kind of came to me at the perfect time. And I think that, you know, uh, I had ran into a a friend of ours in town and I've been I, I have been struggling with the fact that, you know, you and I are both directing, you know, we're directing this show and um, both of us come from such similar backgrounds mm-hmm. and we, we, we both happen to be the same race. Yeah. And we're directing this show um, and it, and we talk about this a lot. It's like, you know, here we are two white dudes talking about this stuff that, you know, we don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. like we can only, we can't identify with, we can just, we can just try to relate to it in the best way that we can. And understanding. And um, and this podcast kind of like came to me, I think, at the perfect time. It's like when you leave yourself open to to something, like when you're looking for something 
and it finds you. It's just so like kismet, I guess. Yeah. It's just so nice whenever that happens. And this this just popped up, and I hadn't listened to Radiolab in forever. And I saw this, and I just listened to the first part, and it was all about a um, a white passing African American man whose grandmother was uh, was enslaved in. I'm trying to remember if it was Georgia or Mississippi. I think it was Georgia, and his great his grandfather was the slave owner, mm-hmm. and so he was he was more I think white passing, and this his family essentially didn't know like it was forgotten that he was black Mm -hmm. and they even had like a picture of him hanging in their house and they thought that he was actually Italian because his name was Pace and they thought that it was like something from Pache. I don't know if I told you this or not, but, um, but they essentially like uncovered this whole thing. And it's just interesting that this one man, like the things that he affected throughout his life, um, and it, this was in like 1920, mm-hmm. like 1923, somewhere in there. And he was one of the first people that um, integrated uh, a neighbor in the South Side, I think the Woodlands in Chicago. Um, he went to law school whenever he was like 30, graduated from law school um, and was like a, a civil rights attorney at the time, which this is, you know, way, way before. You know, I yeah. guess that would be 30 years before the civil rights movement. And um he also created the very first all African American record label where they recorded um, where like everybody on the record, it was called black Swan records. It's just like so interesting. And then being able to hear um, the things that he was a part of, like how he inspired the, the family that he, that he brought into this community. That was the first people that challenged the, um, uh, Oh my gosh, was it the housing commission? I don't know. I, the housing authority or mm-hmm. whatever yeah, that's authority, called yeah. um, that challenged it. That was the family whose daughter wrote Raisin in the Sun. And it was this experience that he like, you know, orchestrated that inspired that play. I mean, it's just wild the things that he did, but then towards the end of his life, he stops identifying as a black man and starts identifying as a white man. And then he dies like very suddenly and his family just goes off and are like, no, we're not black anymore. And I've just been thinking about like struggling with that since I've heard it. And I know that this is (laughs) like the most tangential thing that I've done in a very long time. So I'm sorry. And it was all because I wanted to say one of the most brilliant things that I, that I loved about it was that they had interviewed so many of these people that were were basically talking about the things that I needed to hear that were like coming from actual like you know black voices talking about their experience mm-hmm. and these time periods because Mockingbird takes place in 1935 not that long after this Harry Pace story and it just I loved this thing that this one woman said was which was you know race is not a thing that is it is a thing that happens I was like that's so that's so awesome. That's so true. I mean, it, it yeah. truly is. And this, this whole community, you know, that we're, that we're telling the story about is basically divided by something that just happened Yeah, and is not controllable. I mean, it's just, it just is so wild to me. And I know that this is also coming from the fact that I am speaking, I'm speaking my privilege right now that I'm like, this just doesn't make sense to me. But the thing is, like, if you spent your entire life swimming upstream and then you were given the opportunity to swim downstream, wouldn't yeah. you take it? I mean, it's similar to what we were talking about just a second ago about being held hostage by your finances. Like, we exactly. talk all the time, like, if we won the lottery, this oh, is yeah. what we would do. And I'm sure in the same way that it's, you know, similar to him uh, as far as facing prejudices in that well, time and period. I think the thing was is that he was just such a huge proponent for doing things you know, like that were that were all about building up people in his race. Yeah. And he was, you know, as they kept saying in the podcast, they described him as a race man. You know, he was somebody who wrote about being, you know, like so pro black. Yeah. You know, like black led businesses and labels and not letting people profit off of their talents in a sense. And, you know, it was kind of interesting uh, well, I'm sorry. I will actually finish my thought. 
<laughs> I was just about to jump. I was about to do it. I was about <laughs> to do it. Never. I know. Um, but I just, I, I think that what was so shocking was I was, I was thinking about how appalling it was, but then the guy that was actually, that, you know, was a part of this conversation, who also happens to be black, was like, I mean, but in a sense, I mean, can't you understand that, you know, maybe towards the end, he just didn't want to fight anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's been, was fighting so hard for so long. And then his kids get into this university that was an all white college and he sends them. And it actually, it, it goes to his kids. His, his daughter is going to get married to a white man. And so they basically just, they're white then. Yeah. Because they knew that this guy's family was not going to let him marry into a black family. Well, how many times as a director, have you tried to get an actor to achieve something and they just cannot get there? And then you yeah. say, okay, well, yeah, there, it is what is, it is. It is what it is. And I guess that it's just such a struggle for me just because I, I, it's easier when you're on the outside looking in of being like, why didn't you try harder? Yeah. Why didn't you fight why this? Why did you not? Because, you know, it's easy to look at history and think, I can't believe that they would just give up. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, what happened. And what's so sad is that then Harry Pace, who was the first person to integrate a neighborhood in Chicago, ran the very first completely all-black label, uh, record label. Then his grandson basically moves into an all-white zoned neighborhood. Mm. And, <laughs> and it's just, you know, things like that, that they were just bringing up in the family of... Basically, when they discovered this information about their grandfather, then how they were going to tell the people in their family who this the guy that they were interviewing, which was his um, one of his sons or grandsons, I mean, was basically like, yeah, I mean, I learned this information and then had to find out how to break it to my racist relatives. Mm. And I just thought that that was I just I don't know. It just was so heartbreaking. Yeah. But. It, it is also, I think, so important that we, you know, tell this story. It was also, there's some also some other really good stuff. And, of course, I can sit over here and I can talk about it for days. And in reality, you should just listen to that podcast. Yeah. Um, and really hear the story firsthand from these people, not, not my interpretation of it and form your own interpretation. But it was just, it, I was excited because it came to me at the right time and then basically gave me some you know, some thoughts from that African-American perspective to help me better inform the telling of this show. Yeah. Even though it's not a story that is told from that perspective, you know. Well, you know, it's it's similar to what Jerry Seinfeld and um, uh, who's his writing partner, David... Uh, curb Your Enthusiasm guy. No, I know. I, you know, um, I know, I know. Man, this, uh, anyway... What, the person who inspired George Costanza. Yeah, right. Uh, Real life George Costanza. Yeah. Their their approach to Seinfeld was the more universal you make things, the more specific it becomes. Yeah. And I think that's why that show has had such lasting power, you know, three decades removed now. And I think that it's so interesting, too, that this story is so specific mm-hmm. in that it's this universal story that has lasted through the ages. Yeah. It's also like, can you imagine this being your first novel? I mean. <laughs> and then you just like don't do anything else <laughs> you, because you're just crippled by the success. There, yeah. Well, there's no way. I mean, it's like lightning in a freaking bottle. Yeah. There's no way, you know, like how many how many songs has Lin-Manuel written mm-hmm. over the years to finally, you know, have the success of Into the Heights, but then right. have the actual popularity of Hamilton. Well, I mean, can you imagine if our first podcast was our best podcast? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, we that would that would be something. Except that the proof in the pudding is that uh, go set a Watchman. Yeah, the sort of deleted annex chapters. But the thing is that I hate about that is that Harper Lee didn't want that published. No, absolutely not. It was clearly not. just something that. She was writing and obviously edited it out and decided that this is not the story that needed to be told. And then somebody just got money hungry. I mean, how horrible is that? 
to to basically take somebody's you know something somebody's intellectual and creative property and then produce it just because you want to make some cash yeah i'm <laughs> and you basically destroy an american <laughs> novel, well like a classic i think not this, that it's destroyed it's just like you know it you basically destroys on characters yeah and, and i Atticus think you know everyone it, a, a recent example because I think you and I have the only two hot takes about this is the series Loki. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like you had this perfect character, you had this perfect end and you had this, this, this option to make this really good. Yeah. And then you just, it's when all the right things have been put in front of you. Yes. And you have been given all the opportunity to succeed and you still, you, you still fail. It's yeah. like being born rich. Like, I went to all the best schools. I went to, you know, I've been given everything I've ever wanted. And now I'm, you know, a, a failure. I just, don't know. Like, yeah, just because you have all the ingredients doesn't mean you're an you're actual baker. Yeah, exactly. That's true. I, I don't I don't know. I just, I feel the same way about theater. I'm like, once you get to a certain price point, there's no reason why you should fail. Yeah. But that is interesting because I, this, this kind of leads into something that I wanted to talk about, which was the um, when you uh, what I, I wrote down dangers of allowing blank to interfere with your show. Yeah. And there are so many or to affect your show. And there are so many things that you can insert into that one thing, because you and I stayed up, you know, talking or, you know, we <laughs> yes. talked about this for a long time. Actually, we stayed up super late. It really wasn't that late. <laughs> it just that no, yes. it was just like six hours of yeah. us talking. But um, I just there are there are certain things like in a feel that we want for the show, and this show we have all the right ingredients to make it succeed. Yeah, and when something is is so good like what we have. You want to put your own stamp on it, mm -hmm. but I don't want our stamp to crush the show, yeah. you know? And, and so that's kind of like what we were battling last night of, okay, we want to, like, these are the things that we want to do to help the show move. Yeah, we were talking about subtle ways to in the elevate the material, and, exactly. to not make the transition transitions so jarring exactly. to the audience that it, it feels because right like now it's flowing. In, the, in adaptation, uh, Christopher Sergil's adaptation that we're doing, it is very much reliant on the narrator character of Miss Maudie to yes. move us into the next trend tra or segue us into the next scene. And it just happens within a sentence. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, you have all these we like heavy things that are happening and then just like click. And here we are, you yeah. know, and, and there are, you know, maybe for somebody's show that's, that's great, but that's just not what we have in our mind. We want, we want it to feel. We want to flesh out the world a little yes. bit more, and so and you it, also want those those notes to resonate with people. Yeah, too. I don't want to I don't want to glaze over anything. I don't want it to be like, oh, we moved so fast that it didn't that people didn't have necessarily time to sit in it and to digest it before they take on this new information. It's it's almost like when you're watching like a pilot to a show mm -hmm. that you're like really invested in years later, and you go back to rewatch it, and that that first set of stories that they tell. They're moving so quickly through yeah, it. They're trying to get all that exposition out. Yes. And it's like, you know, it's okay to sit in a moment because we have basically two hours of your time mm -hmm. to tell this story. And just because we want to exposit some things doesn't mean that we can't also, like you were talking about, fleshing out the world or the characters or those moments right. into something that's deeper and more resonating with people and audience members and well, even the actors too, hopefully. Well, I think, you know, one big one big part of my experience and my personal training and journey and in, in theater and storytelling has been, you know, my, the best directors that I've ever worked with and the best shows that I've ever been a part of have had an amazing world. Yeah. And it's not, it's never, it's never been a show that's been focused on the character whose name is in the title. Mm -hmm. It's never about that. You know, I, I think that, in order to have a very strong version of this show, the most fleshed out and real characters, it is it have to be the people in the background. I yeah. think that the world has got to be so strong that it supports the people that you hear talk the most. Mm -hmm. Because then 
I feel like that then you understand it a little bit more. Like you, the audience can believe it a little bit more instead of pouring all of your energy into just being like, okay, these three people are going to be awesome. And you know, it doesn't matter. You're just in the background. You're just going to be a part of the scene. So like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, no, you have to be, it's that thing you were talking about, about being specific. Yes. Everybody has to serve a clear and defined purpose. It's not just throw somebody out there for fluff so that we have a, a you know, a, a warm body. Yeah. Like they have to have a reason. You know, we we're talking about the beginning of this show. We want to establish the world that we're in before the first line yeah. by showing, you know, in a not clownish way, but a creative way, everybody's relationships. Yeah. And that is, to me, good storytelling. You have to have the you have to start at the bottom and build your way up. You don't just jump in the middle. You know, I, I just don't think that that's the way that for this particular story, that you know, that's what we want. I think what you're trying to talk about here is really texture. And I think that when you when you sort of observe it almost like a painting, like if you had Andy Warhol's diner scene painting that he has that's so famous, if you had just two people sitting... Andy Warhol's diner scene? Is it Andy? No. No. Who am I thinking of? That's not Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol is uh, pop art. That's soup cans. Soup cans. No, um, you, but you know what I'm talking about. The, uh, I do. The famous and you diner. know what's really sad is that I know what you're talking about, and the thing that immediately popped into my head is the meme of it with Patrick screaming. Oh, God. No, no, no. <laughs> but but what it is, is like you could just have a scene where two, you, you know, these two people are sitting at this table, and then there's a waitress there. But you build this world around it where you have this diner and then there's like this car passing and there's all of these other things that are going on yeah, around. Yeah, then you start building in your own emotional connection and yes. what that feels like to you and if it's sad or if it's just like calming or happy, you know, you yeah. are they there something at more the than early what morning? Are they is. there at the late, like late at night? Like we don't yeah. know, but we have to build this world so that people begin to think like, oh, this is lived in. Yeah. And that's what's so important to the texture. I think also, you know, a, a part of, you know, theater, I think, has moved forward and changed in the way that the the way that we tell stories now, where in the past, like whenever this was originally written, it was kind of like you jump straight into it, it seems like all of these older shows always start off with somebody calling out somebody else's name. <laughs> yes. It's just Dude, like that's no every what. single one of my lines <laughs> when like, I walk on stage. You know, it's just like always every line, every <laughs> single one of my scenes I walk on, I'm like Atticus. <laughs> <laughs> Every I feel like you and uh, Godspell. Yeah. Now hear this. Now he'll hear now. Yeah. Now hear this. Um. But it. Yeah. It is. It is just the. It always seems like it starts off with somebody calling to someone else because it's time for dinner or time for them to be home or they can't find them, and it's like that's how they established action. I just think that we can do that a little bit better. But, you know, the reason why we jumped into this is that we're talking about you know Edward this, Hopper. Edward Hopper. I had to just look it up. It was yeah, driving cool. me crazy. Um, it is a the really painting. beautiful painting. I've yes. seen that painting in person. It's awesome. Uh, but so, uh, anywho, uh, we were talking about the dangers of allowing things to to wreck your show in a sense. Yes. And one of the things that I was finding yesterday is that you know we have had so much time, and we were talking about like when you said Loki, they have all the right ingredients, and the souffle just exploded to me yeah. just like deflated it, it wasn't even as exciting as an explosion it just went it just done and um that's not the first time we've used that analogy no. is it but you know what it, it <laughs> speaking of that series it's so frustrating because that thing goes nowhere like yeah all this promise and all this premise and it goes absolutely it goes nowhere freaking nowhere and i don't want to talk about it because it makes me <laughs> mad i hate that freaking show yeah um, it's, it is irritating but so we we have been talking about having all the right ingredients and we have been given all the right ingredients. You know, we have mm -hmm. a great cast. We have this awesome opportunity, this, you know, this creative energy that's built up over over time and that we've been able to sit with this material. And that in itself has now given me so much anxiety. Yeah. And like yesterday, and I know that I had just honestly, I, I had gone to. Well, both of us have been having these like fever dreams about what's the true. show. Like I'm already having. Normally, I don't have nightmares about a show or the you know like the actor dreams about a show until the show is done and it's like been two weeks and i've already started to forget the material and then i have a dream that i have to do it again and it's with a new cast and everybody else is looking at me and i'm also playing a different character and it's just like why am i doing that but now i'm doing that with this show and yeah we haven't even started rehearsals um except 
that whenever this podcast airs, it's going to be the day that we have our very first Table second read. read through. Yeah, 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 the second read through. <laughs> our very first second read through. <laughs> um, but still, I, I just I feel like that now my struggle, where normally I I think that I really do lead from, like I I convince myself to lead with confidence. And this almost in a sense, the time that has been given me feels like that I should be perfect. So now I'm like, oh, no, I'm what if I'm like, I could fail. Like, that's what I was going through my brain. It's like all of all of the the bad things are being are popping into my brain. And it's just it's almost like now I know that the ingredients are all there. But the only thing that can really make the show flop is me. Okay, so. Yes and no. No, I'm be- saying that because it's like my my anxiety. Yes, not that, yes. Not that I'm saying that like I'm because going to be the one that does it. It's just that I am now setting myself up for failure because I'm allowing those voices to oh, yes. corrupt. Well, it's my the same reason why I feel like you're pushing me to to move in these directions. Yeah. Uh, to to become more in the directing space because I also do those same, same those same things and I know that you see that in me yeah. and it's so strange to have this role reversal almost where it's like it's true yeah I'm I'm ready for this I'm ready to get this off the ground mm-hmm. I'm ready to like ho- hopefully inspire everyone to that's in the show mm-hmm. to to want to do the best that we possibly can because I'm so excited I'm well yeah I mean to I be want back all on the of stage those things even. too but but to see you face those same anxieties those, those demons yeah that that I go through is so strange to me because it's like I observe you and think that, well, you're not scared of anything. You never doubt yourself ever because you don't I mean, allow people to see that side of yeah, you. Yeah, I don't allow it. And Even though I, feel I know like I can't. deep down you're out there building <laughs> planner boxes when the show's canceled. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's me and that trellis. Is it a trellis? We've named it so many different things. I don't know. It, whatever it is, it needs to come down. That's what I, I know that. So the, my, my anxiety, leftover set lumber right in the beginning of the pandemic. That was awful, too, because it was like 113 degrees and I was out there just boiling. And so it was like environmentally, it, it felt exactly <laughs> the way it felt inside of my brain. It is. It is the only, you know, to speak back and to look back, you know, 18, 16 to 18 months later, it's so crazy to me. To, to look back then and to see like how you were spiraling. And I have never received so many phone calls from you in a single day. I just didn't know, you know, nobody knows. And you know, it's so like, it, it just looking back on it, it feels like I, I had just lost my mind because I just didn't know, you know, I feel like normally I can, I can pick a path and say, you know what, this is the direction we need to go until we we see that this is not the correct course and then yeah. we can course correct but for right now this is the best possible option and i normally feel confident in choosing that path but during that it was like i've never encountered anything like this before and no one else has and we don't know what we're supposed to be doing and what do I do? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I guess we're going to cancel this and I'm going to make an awkward video and I'm going to send it out to people. And really, I should just hang on to those feelings. But instead, <laughs> I'm going to make a seven minute video and like put it out on social media and be like, here, this is forever. Like, you know, you just you just become like reactory. You know, yeah. it's just like you just are reacting. And because it was unprecedented and nothing like this. Yeah. And, you know, I think that everybody thinks like, oh, I wish I could live in this, you know, gone time Mm -hmm. so that I could have a simpler life. And it's like, but I also observe that medicine is never better than it is today. And it's 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 better today than it is yesterday. How, you know, much has been able to be accomplished truly in such a short amount of time in comparison to other pandemics. Yes. You know, and it is just like so crazy to me to think that. You know, we we are existing in this unprecedented time, even now, as we're sort of living in the aftermath of everything that's kind of like happened mm-hmm. and, and trusting and distrusting. And maybe there are these variants and things like and we don't know anything, right. but it's so it's so we live in such an information age that when mm-hmm. we don't know something, we get so lost, I think, is what really it is. Yeah. Like I just looked up who the, you know, uh, original painter for that right. painting was. And that was easy. But when you're when you're faced with something that you've never faced before, 
you don't know what to do. And the whole world was like that. Right. What 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 do we do? No I mean, one has like the answer. Broadway has shut down. If they're not going to like the NBA, if the, everything Las is, Vegas shuts everything down. Is shut down. You're talking about mafia so money shuts there's down. There's no way that we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> if they're if they're calling it like, oh no, we're not doing this. I I don't know. I just I am supremely excited to do the show that we're doing. And I there are so many different levels and parallels of things and uh, that we can draw for the time that we're in and the experiences of the people in this show. And I'm excited to tell these stories and to be able to express, you know, to, to be able to express these things that we have gone through over the past year in this show with this story. I think that, you know, it's, if anything, it, it's probably not, you know, it's not the thing you want to say, but I think that we are coming out of this better than we were going into it. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I think that we are in a healthier place as as people anyway. Like, I, I know that I feel that way of just being like, you know, I feel like my perspective is so much, so much better. And then just the, you know, just complete storm of insanity of this year of the things that have been brought up, you know, yeah. and the reasons why we should do this show, I think are so huge. And I think that's the other thing of, as far as the anxiety that's brought on for me is that I want to make sure that even though I happen to be white, that we are telling the story in a way that is representative of, of a really like, you know, hard, hard time. Yeah. And that, it, that would have never been, my experience, mm -hmm. but still being able to give voice to that experience because it needs to be heard, you know, <sighs> that's, 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 that was my, that was my thing about dangers allowing. But also, you know, I want to add to that into like having coming out of this better than what we were mm -hmm. and that I've, I was able to, because I was so, you, both of us were so freaking busy. It was like, we're going from one show to the next, to the next, right. to the next, to the next. They gave me this opportunity, especially like for the acting class and things like that, to hit mm. the basics again. Yeah. And, and to take a look at like, why we yeah. love it. Yeah. And, and to just like try new techniques. Well, how can I approach this differently than mm. I've ever approached any other role instead of, I need to hurry up, learn the lines and build this character and move I mean, on. You know, like being humbled most of the time is a gift. Yes. And I think that we were very humbled over the last year. <laughs> it's like seeing the uh, silver lining of a mushroom cloud, exactly. if you will. <laughs> That's 100% um, true. But I do know that before we go, we had, in our late night conversation, we talked yeah, about we some housekeeping about, things. Well, we're that talking we wanna... about like balance. Yes. And we have talked about what the podcast is going to be in the future and that we are excited for it. And I, I am excited for kind of the direction that we are looking into moving with the podcast because we never want to be in a place where this becomes more than, you know, it, that it, that it's like a job that it's work yeah. because I know I for me personally, when, when there. things that I love to do become work, I no longer want to do them. Yeah. And then, you know, if we're not going to want to do this, then people are not going to want to listen. They're going to notice it's immediately. Be very noticeable. But it's more or less like you don't want to oversaturate. And, you know, we we were been given such a great opportunity in the fact that we haven't had shows going so much that we've had the time to meet once a week and record this podcast. Mm -hmm. But moving forward, we know that that's just not going to be feasible any longer. Yeah, it's looking at the rehearsal schedule and wanting to do service to the show because I feel like that demands yeah. the most attention and more is honestly more it's yes. not better it's just more and we don't want to be just putting something out there if it's not what we want we've talked and it's about also that and oversaturating the market yeah. like it's really hard to listen to like i haven't listened to dak shepherd's podcast because it's like do you have like, like five seven. of them coming yeah, he's out he's got so many yeah and different different podcasts that he's all I, I don't know how he has the time to do it i guess that's what happens when you stop acting and you just do podcasts <laughs> right but you know good for him um, it's just that's just not where we are. So we're looking at moving into more of a platform. We're going to do this every we're going to release every two weeks. Yeah. A bye. Still on weekly. a Thursday. So monthly. Yeah. So we'll be doing um, we'll be doing every two weeks. That would be biweekly. Yeah. Biweekly is twice a week. Bimonthly is twice a month. I don't think that we're talking about the same thing. Biweekly would be every two weeks. If you get paid biweekly, you get paid every two weeks. You get paid bimonthly. If you get paid bimonthly. Then you get paid 
Hold on. What this is happening? Requires a Google. Oh my gosh. For terms. How is this even happening? I don't know. Bi weekly is two weeks. So every two weeks. It doesn't matter who's right in this argument. Well, uh, I could easily shows. edit it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so it's just that that thing of we want to make sure that we're still doing the best that we can. And I think that, you know, giving ourselves the time, mm-hmm. honestly, to to, you know, work on the podcast and think about what we want to be doing every other week. I think that it'll, yeah. it will just make the podcast better. But it gives us time to like we had so much to talk about this week. It's true. And that's because we took this two-week gap, and I feel like it's stronger for it. And I think that moving forward, this would be a good move. Yeah, I think that it's it's the right the right thing to do, even though, you know, I do. Luckily, we still get to hang out. Yeah. We just don't necessarily, <laughs> right. like, sit back here in the office. And I don't want to announce what we potentially talked about being able to do because we might not be able to do that. Yeah, but we have other things that we're working on. and We're, that is, we're wanting that to try a new thing to I add think to this we, i think that at this point our listeners just know that we're always working towards <laughs> doing yeah. something different like it's hard for it's hard to stay stagnant in anything and so just after a while you like want to change things up a little bit and That's do right. something new but i am excited about it i think that releasing every two weeks is going to be a bit of a game changer for a while and then we'll see how that works and what it's like moving forward but the most important thing is always as we have we say is storytelling yes and if we're not telling the story in the best of our ability then we have to change we have to do something so i think that this will be good for not just the podcast but for our actual show and with that i think that it's time for dinner it is time for dinner and i want to say that we are going to miss being in your bud holes (laughs) bud bud really gotta hit that d (laughs) my god well, everyone, that was Cody. And that is Christoph Annapolis. It's how... Ha- what am I? Uh, you know, <laughs> <sighs> that was rough, man. I don't even know. I think maybe we should just go home.